Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another Ars Blog Arscast right here on arsblog.olayolay.com. Hope you're well. It's been a relatively quiet week, uh, given the fact we've got uh, seven days between games, no midweek action, and that keeps things fairly quiet in terms of news. But enough went on last weekend, I think, for us to uh, drag a decent enough uh, length of an Arscast out for you today. Um, coming up on the show in a few moments, we'll have our regular blog chat. This time it's somebody new to the Arscast. Tim Stillman from Vital Arsenal is along to discuss all the goings on in the last week. Uh, as well as that, Arsene Wenger Hawkins will be here. Andre Arshavin is here. And there's the usual bits and pieces of waffle that crop up every week between now and the end of the show. So last weekend against Hull, eventful, I think you might say. We left it late, very late, the kind of late that Wayne Bridges' missus felt when she rang up John Terry and said, I think there's something you should know. That's how late it was. Nicholas Bentner got us the goal in the 93rd minute uh, to seal the points against 10-man Hull. Um, 10-man Hull, when they had 11 men, were pretty horrible, it has to be said, fouling all over the place. Uh, The referee didn't do a great deal about it. Uh, Leaving aside the, the referee, the linesmen were absolutely crap. I've never seen such crap lines. Man. I know they're called assistant referees now, but that bestows on them a, a status that they don't merit because these were linesmen. These were like two guys on a Sunday league. You know, when you play Sunday league football and one guy from each team, like the coach or the dad of someone who's come along to watch, goes up and down the line and they do the offsides. That's how bad these guys were. I haven't seen the ball over the line and out of play twice in one match uh, without the linesman signaling uh, that the ball was actually miles over the line and, you know, it should be a throw-in or a goal kick. That happened twice. And then, of course, there was the offside that wasn't given, uh, which led to Hull's penalty. I mean, I suppose when you look at it, how can you expect somebody who can't see whether or not a ball is over a line, how can he be expected to see a guy who's about six feet offside? I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, we're holding them perhaps to too high a standard. Um, But it was a costly decision for Arsenal because uh, Sol Campbell gave away the penalty. And, you know, it probably was a penalty, uh, leaving aside the offside, but you can't leave aside the offside uh, when it was offside, you see. Um, The talk about Sol being sent off was wrong, I think, uh, because the rules say it's got to be a clear goal-scoring opportunity. And even though he was goal side of Saul Campbell, the ball was at the back of his head. And I've never in all my years 
uh, of watching football, seen somebody score a goal with the back of their head while they're actually facing the goal. It would require some kind of tentacles or something to be um, shot out the back of your head, which could put the ball uh, back the other way. And Jan Venegor of Hesselink has a funny name, but I doubt he has goal-scoring tentacles at the back of his head. Were he to have those tentacles, I would accept a Saul Campbell red card. And a moment here, if I might, just to talk about John Champion uh, from ESPN, who went on and on and on and on about Saul Campbell being sent off for about the rest of the game. As if this was the worst thing that he'd ever seen on a football pitch. He didn't go on and on and on and on about George Boateng trying to uh, break Bracari Sanya's knee open. Or he didn't go on about George Boateng trying to poke out Nicholas Bentner's eye. But it was like Saul Campbell had, I don't know, done something to him at some point in the past. Because not only did he go on about the sending off that wasn't a sending off, he then went on and on and on and on about the tackle, which was... Um, a thing of beauty. Now, I don't want to see any guy get injured. Really, I don't. Because how can we, as Arsenal fans, having seen our players get injured all the time, I don't want to be uh, that kind of guy who says, well, you know, uh, it's all right for us to injure them. He got injured. It was a consequence of the tackle, which was a hard tackle. I mean, if you were to ask me, would I be that upset if John Terry fell asleep on the sofa and uh, had a cigarette and the cigarette ignited the sofa and and he woke up on fire, well, that's a completely different thing because that's not uh, an injury sustained on the football pitch. And I'm sorry for the whole guy that he got injured. But the the uh, the difference between Saul Campbell's tackle and Ryan Shawcross's tackle, and I know that Shawcross and Pulis have been talking again. I'm not going to say a great deal about it because, look, I know Shawcross and Pulis are cunts. You know they're cunts. The problem with cunts is they're not terribly cunt aware. They don't know that they're cunts. This is the difficulty, and it's a very difficult thing to explain to them because they don't necessarily have the the wit or the intelligence to understand that, and I'm not going to get dragged into another whole tirade against a pair of cunts when we all know that they're cunts, and I'm preaching to the converted here. Nevertheless, I seem to have lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, the tackle. What a brilliant tackle it was. Uh, Everyone said it. Uh, Even Match of the Day said it. Alan Shearer and Alan Hansen both said, yeah, it was a great tackle. I mean, that's how good a tackle it was. Had it been even slightly, slightly wrong, they would have jumped all over it. You know that. So it was a perfect tackle. But Champion went on and on and on and on about Saul Campbell being sent off. (sighs) Very tiresome. Uh, But we got the goal in the end. And it was a very, very important goal for Arsenal. And it was a very enjoyable goal subsequently because, uh, of course, it brought about the downfall of Phil Brown. Um. I said, I think on the blog, and I said it to a couple of people by text, that had we beaten them 4 or 5 nil, he would have just gone, well, you know, they're a better team on the day, blah, 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 blah. But that must have really, really hurt, because he was probably looking at his watch going, right, I'm going to keep Arsenal, 11-man Arsenal. This is going to really do wonders for my reputation. 11-man Arsenal. I've held them to a draw here with a battling performance at home, and, you know, we can build from here, get another point, and I can keep my job, and then, f- oh, f- That must have broken his horrible orange little heart. And for that, I think Nicholas Bentner will remain an Arsenal legend until the day he's not an Arsenal legend until he goes and signs for Barcelona or somebody like that. Uh, But that goal was was truly a marvellous thing. Phil Brown sacked. Arsenal three points. 
And given all the history uh, that we've had with him and his football team and his antics and his assistant manager, who is a despicable man as well, I think it's only fair that Arsenal beating Hull should bring about his demise. Um, And I think that's something we can all agree on. Absolutely. So there you go. It was eventful enough. But to get a little bit more in-depth analysis, not analysis, but a bit more discussion on that, uh, I'm joined now by Tim Stillman from Vital Arsenal. Hi there, Tim. Good morning to you, sir. Let's start with the game uh, against Hull last weekend. It, uh, Nicholas Bentner's goal was late and great, but significant in, in two respects. Uh, obviously, the first one is that um, it got the three points for Arsenal and three points that we really needed. Maybe we can come back to that. But then the second, the knock-on effect of that, was uh, that it brought about the sacking of, of Phil Brown. And given the history of uh, of Phil Brown and, what, and what Arsenal... what a beautiful sacking that was. Too. Absolutely. <laughs> this is it. So, I mean, we can look at Bentner's goal. It's, it's almost a heroic goal. Um, as a football fan, you know, you take pleasure in the three points, but as well, you, you take pleasure in bad things happening to people that you don't like. Absolutely, absolutely. And it could not have happened to a nicer bloke. Uh, I was I was absolutely delighted when I heard about his sacking. I, I made myself a cup of coffee. I read that statement two or three times on a, on Tuesday morning. It was an absolute delight to behold. Um, yeah, the, the, the guy... Given um, the easy ride he's had as well from the media in terms of the allegations uh, we all know he made against Fabregas last season, um, totally unacceptable um, to lie about something like that. But you know the fact that he got such a free ride for it, it was proven that he lied, and nobody seemed to care, which um, which you know grated a little bit. Um, but quite frankly, if Bentner's goal did anything to bring about his sacking, the boy deserves an MBE. Quite frankly, <laughs> we can talk as well. I mean, with regards to that Hull's approach last Saturday was, yeah. it was it was uh, physical, despicable. Yeah, okay. Well, you you can call it yeah, despicable. I was trying to just stay in the middle here and play devil's advocate a bit, but it was it was very physical, and we saw foul after foul, this tactical fouling thing yeah. that teams do do uh, you know very often when they play Arsenal. But then you, it, it goes a little bit too far when the referee allows the game yeah. to 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 go without sanctioning anyone. We saw what happened with Boateng poking his finger into Bentner's yeah. eye, and then and then it culminates with a challenge on Sanya that could have been very serious yeah. indeed. And do you know what? So many, so many of us called it. Um, you know, I, I, I like to think of myself as a collected guy, but I, I was raging at that referee all the way through the first half, and so many of us were as well um, behind that goal because we all saw it coming. Um, and I, I think I must have shouted with a few expletives thrown in several times, you know, he's not going to do anything until someone's leg is broken. Yeah. And actually, Sanya, you know, could have had a very serious injury, but we all saw it coming. And what's what's really disappointing is it shows you just two weeks after Ramsey's injury, it shows you that nobody has learned a thing. Um, in fact, the coverage of that was so bizarre that actually Arsenal ended up being the ones taking the stand, defending ourselves. Um, you know, the press conferences the week after Ramsey's injury, you saw Benga's quotes were plastered everywhere. But what about this is nobody, you know, you think who's who's defending who here? And uh, it was just, on a pitch like that as well. I mean, Hull, I think my ticket cost 33 quid and uh, Hull couldn't provide a pitch or a player, uh, quite frankly, in, in footballing terms. And it was just, it was such a deplorable approach. And what the referee really needs to do in that situation is see what's happening, tactical rotational fouling, get hold of the captain, who's ironically butting, I believe, 
get hold of the captain, tell him, look, this isn't on, tell your boys to cut it out. Um, but what was interesting is I don't, they didn't seem to do it so much in the second half. And I, I'm undecided as to whether that was because of the red card or whether it had anything to do with Sol Campbell, um, you know, kind of putting a meat and potatoes challenge of his own in. Um, I wonder if that was just as instrumental in stopping it. Um, and whether that's something Arsenal have missed the last few years, someone to kind of, you know, literally and figuratively put their foot down. Um, because actually, I think the stats show that Holden commit a single foul in the second half. Wow. Actually, they, they, they were able to kind of put in a really good committed defensive performance without resorting to hacking people's legs, which is what they were doing in the first half. Um, so I, I don't know which one of those um, kind of big uh holes stopping uh, with the strong arm stuff, but I'd like to think Campbell's challenge had something to do with it, fair as it was. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's, it was interesting that there was nearly more coverage of Campbell's fair challenge yep. uh, than there was of Boateng's um, quite quite nasty one. So, absolutely, Ma- match of the day replayed Campbell's challenge, mm. um, and all, albeit they said that they felt it was fair, rightly so. But you know, they didn't even look at Boateng's second challenge. In fact, Boateng should have been sent off long before that. You know, poking Bentner in the eye, and I'm not sure whether the TV picks it up, but after about five. About 20 yards away from the ball, he shoves Danielson to the ground, um, kind of puts him on his aris. Um, and, it was, and it was just, you know, you, you could see um, that he was kind of leading the charge. And for Brown afterwards to say, you know, I, he hasn't let me down, um, you know, presumably that's because he was following instructions. <laughs> but this is it, I, I was only following orders. Isn't that the excuse? Exactly, uh, <laughs> exactly. Not that we're comparing George Boateng to Nazis or anything like that, but uh, <laughs> there we go. Let's, let's talk not, about not this. Not quite. Not quite. Let's talk about the three points, though, because it was very, very late um, and, and very crucial. I think in the, in the you sometimes uh, forget maybe to analyse when you've got the joy of that last-minute goal and you've got the mm-hmm. subsequent joy of the Phil Brown sacking. When you step back <laughs> and you look, had Arsenal not got that goal... Uh, yeah. it would be it would have made life uh, much more difficult this week uh, you've got to give credit to the team they went there with a lot of players yeah. missing uh, and kept going right to the end absolutely that's you know our, our whole spine missing probably our our three best players this season in Galas Fabregas and before he was injured Van Persie um, uh, you know because he's been out for a long time people don't seem to mention Van Persie's absence as much I mean if, if United had got Rooney injured in December or Chelsea had lost Drogba in November, would they still be where we are? Mm. I'm not so sure. But it was it was so crucial and one of the one of the things that was so pleasing about it in the end um was that I didn't think the second half performance was up to much. Um I was a bit disappointed. Once Botting went up, uh, we all had the feeling Arsenal would come out, knock it around, tie them out, get the second goal and that'd be it. Um, but we, we didn't seem to really get going until the last 10 minutes, until Walcott came on, really, um, and gave us a bit of penetration in there. Um, but in, in terms of the title race, you know, obviously three points is always massive, but to get it in that manner, you know, hopefully it will give them a little bit more belief, kick them on a little bit more. And the way the goal came about as well, you know, a shot from distance, which was follow up, followed up by a striker, yeah. Not a typical Arsenal goal. Not at all. By any means. Um, how long have we been waiting for someone to follow up on a on some long range <laughs> strike? Uh, probably since Ian Wright left. And that was that was very pleasing as well. It showed a, a kind of different quality. Um, and in fact, Bentner's 
really brought a different quality to us since he came back. Mm. It, it does, in a way, vindicate. Well, I, I know I don't want to say too much because you know the minute you start saying, "Well, look, he's done this, yeah. he's done that, and he's vindicated the manager's decision not to go out and buy the striker we all wanted him to go out and buy in January," yeah. you, you jinx him, and he's never going to score again till the end of the season. Yeah. But I, you know, without going overboard, he's still got a lot to yeah. do, Bentner. But he has shown, uh, you know, that he's got he's he's really got some character and ability about him. Absolutely, absolutely. And one of one of the first things he said when he came back from injury, um, you know, he mentioned you know the phrase "repaying the faith," and he recognised that. He recognised that you know Arsenal could have gone out and you know probably bought a striker for fifteen or twenty million, um, which doesn't bring you any guarantees, not any instant guarantees. Um, I think Bentner recognised that, and I think you know the boys obviously got kind of confidence to burn anyway. But I think that gave him a little bit more of a step and he just thought, well, do you know what? I've, I, I owe the manager something. I owe the team something here. Um, and he's, he's really stepped up. And I was never worried after that Burnley game, actually, when he, you know, he missed several chances because the boy just gives you the impression that, you know, I, I, well, I, I really liked his, his comments after his Porto hat trick. And in fact, he turned around and said, great, I'll enjoy it tonight. But tomorrow this is forgotten. And, uh, you know, he demonstrated that again against Hull. And actually against Hull, he wasn't brilliant. He didn't have a lot of service. But he got one chance um, and he took it. All right, well, let's uh, leave Hull behind and look ahead because uh, later on this morning, the the Champions League draw takes place. Um, Mm -hmm. Do do you have any preferences? Are you one of those people who would say, I'd love to go and play Inter Milan and beat Mourinho and then do United in the semi-final and then we'll have revenge on Barcelona in the final? Or are you somewhat like me who would quite prefer the easiest possible route to glory? Well, listen, if you gave me the choice now, if I'm I'm in charge of the draw, I pick Bordeaux all day long. Mm. But but nevertheless, um, thinking about it, no last... Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. We got a pretty soft route to the semi-final, and then when we had to go and play United, you know, we froze a bit. And frankly, if we're going to win the thing, we're going to have to beat one or both of Barcelona and United mm. for me. Um, and actually playing one of them in the quarterfinal might not be a bad thing because if you look at when we got to the final in 2006, I don't think you can underestimate the importance of going and beating Real Madrid um, in terms of you know giving them the boost and the confidence um, and the real belief that they could go and win it. Yeah. And then that 
kind of permeated into the Juventus game where we took on Juventus and thought, well, actually, we went and beat Real Madrid on their own patch. These guys don't hold any fear for us. And actually, that that could be the best way around it. I must say, I'd, I'd rather take Barcelona than United. Yeah. Um, because of uh, because of the style of Barcelona kind of go for. I'm not saying we'd win, but I think we'd have a better chance than against United. Do you think we could play about our football more easily against Barcelona than we can against yes. United? Yes, and it, and it would. I think it would come down to a case of whose football is better, uh, which for the purists would be interesting. I have to say, I think Barcelona would probably just about come out on top. Um, however, you know, so the first legs away, we get a you know, decent away goal. You know, it changes the complexion of the tie. Mm. At, at this stage, for me, I, I'd take all comers. In fact, the, on, the only one I'm really looking to avoid is Moscow. Um, because of, of the travel. kind of... Exactly, because of the ramifications. I think, kind of, potentially, um, if they if they lose against Fulham, potentially, we could, you know, be going to Moscow and then going to White Hart Lane three days later. Yeah. Um, which... Could you know could have kind of an impact on the title race as well. Um, so I prefer to stay local, but I I'll take anyone at this stage. I think if you're going to win it, you got to beat the big boys anyway. So sure. let's just have no fear and go for it. Alrighty, uh, final thing. Let's look ahead very quickly to the West Ham game. There's some returnees. Uh, Fabregas is back. Song is back. Yeah. Rosicki is back. So uh, you know, timely returns, adding a bit more uh, to our midfield, some craft and some goals. Uh, no sign of William Gallas, though. Arsene Wenger is talking about yeah. his injury going on and on and on. And at this stage, yeah. you have to worry because he, I think I, I've said it here before and on the blog that he spent a long period out injured in every yeah. in every season, and this appears to be the the same thing again. Um, obviously the manager is going to have to manage that in, in terms of rotating uh, Saul Campbell and, and Mikhail Silvestre. Um, do you have any sort of worries about that? As At the moment, we're all right because we've got a game a week, but when the games start coming every three days, yeah. uh, it, it could um, be problematic. It, it certainly could, particularly because of Silvestre and Campbell's ages. Neither of them are probably capable of playing two games a week. Um, I, I'm, I'm very worried about it. Yes, I think... I, I think behind Fabregas, Galas has possibly been our most important player this season. Um, I think he's really given us his best form uh, for the first time this season. Um, and I, I think he's so pivotal to that back line in, in organising it. And he's just he's just got such a great age for a centre-back um, at the moment. And he gives our team that bit of experience, that bit of kind of winning mentality. Um I do wonder, though, because of this contract situation as well. Mm. It seems to be a trend um, yeah. amongst players whose contracts are running down that they get mystery injuries. Uh, you know, the likes of Wiltord and Medu, yeah. you know, and Flamini yeah. as well. When their contracts are running down, all of a sudden they got niggling injuries and we didn't see them again. Um, I don't honestly think that's the case this time because I think Gallas is too important for us, for, uh, for the manager to do that. Um, but I am starting to wonder if we'll see him in an Arsenal shirt again, and I, I think it'd be a great shame if we didn't. Mm. Any any uh, real worries about West Ham? They are down there; they're scrapping for their lives. Uh, but at home, you'd you'd have to fancy us. You'd, you'd have to expect us to win. I I think West Ham have, uh, have got enough to stay up anyway. Um, you know, obviously there's been some really freak results uh, in the Premiership this season. I think I was I saw a stat something like Arsenal. 
know, have won their last seven games against teams in the bottom ten, and I think seven of our last nine games are against teams in the bottom half. Um, the only thing is, obviously, that's got to come to an end at some point. <laughs> I'd, I'd fancy us to beat West Ham, certainly. It's, it's the Birmingham game I'd look at with a bit more trepidation. All right. OK, Tim, we better leave it there, but thanks very much for your time, and uh, hopefully we'll get you on the Arscast again soon. It'll be an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, sir. Sir, did you hear that? Sir, I like him. Not enough people call me sir. Generally, it's when I'm in trouble that I get called sir. So thank you very much to Tim Stillman. And uh, you can check out Vital Arsenal. It is uh, www.arsenal.vitalfootball.co.uk. That's www.arsenal.vitalfootball.co.uk. Now, before we go on, Arsene Regger Hawkins is here. Dear Phil, may I call you Phil? Let's face it, it rolls off the tongue more easily than shit-faced, lying. You talk on the pitch giving headset wearing orange brick. Anyway, Phil. Phil, Phil, Phil. It was with great regret that I heard of your summary dismissal from Hull City. Despite everything that has gone on, despite the fact your team are a bunch of clocking thugs, despite the fact that you accused Cesc Fabregas of doing something he didn't, Despite the fact you told lies about shaking hands, and despite the fact you look like a stretched out oopaloopa, I wanted you to continue. I wanted you to stay at the helm. I wanted you to continue weaving your magic on the training ground. I wanted to keep rescuing women from the Humber Bridge, even though there never was any woman, was there, Phil? It doesn't matter if she didn't exist. She was real in your world, and that's all that counts. I was sorry to hear that the new chairman had decided that six wins in 50 games wasn't good enough. I was sorry to hear that a year without a win away from home was considered poor. I was sorry that conceding 100 goals in your last 50 games was somehow a mark of shame, and not accepted as a side effect of the wonderful, attacking football you get your teams to play. I'm sorry that everyone realized that, well, you know. You're basically shit at your job. Don't get me wrong, Phil. Philly Phil Phil. I'll admit I'm being selfish here. I wanted you to stay for my own enjoyment. Because seeing you get the sack now is nowhere near as funny as it would have been to see you on the final day of the season not knowing where to look when defeat sent you back down to the championship. Would you have sung for us then, Phil? Would you? Would you fuck, you poxy, sunbed-loving wang thistle? I shall eagerly await your appearances on goals on Sunday as you wait for a new job to come in. Then, as time passes, perhaps, the odd game where you're sitting watching Barnes Levy Doncaster with a headset and a microphone. You're through calling. Goodbye, Phil. I'd like to think we'll meet again, but even Vera Lynn wouldn't be that presumptuous. You can't. Arsene Wenger Hawkins will be back at some point in the very near future. I believe uh, Lindsay Lohan has taken out a restraining order against him. Um, that pretty much tells you everything you need to know. The other story that came out this week uh, that's really worth talking about, of course, is the uh, the new kit or the uh, rumored new kit, which uh, looked amazing, you have to say. And I think it's about time we had an amazing home kit. Because the one we've got at the moment is just not quite Arsenal enough. We've had to endure two white away kits, and we all know the connotations of white away kits. Tell me a good team that plays in white. Just doesn't happen, does it? 
Uh, and a blue one this season, a blue one. And I mean, I know what the thinking behind it is. Apparently, it's because, you know, a, a, a white shirt or a blue shirt is more casual wear than a football shirt. So people are more inclined to buy it if they can just wear it around the place rather than just at a football match or going to see the Arsenal. So that's why that is. A big yellow um, and blue shirt like that uh, great away kit we had last season or the one from the 2003-2004 season, that was a marvellous-looking football shirt, but not something you could wear somewhere else. Nevertheless, it's about time. They owe us a really, really good shirt. And uh, I'm told that it might be very, very similar to that. I know that I think it's Arsenal Insider had uh, some pictures a few weeks back um, of, I think they did a mock-up of what they heard the shirt was going to look like, something like that. And it seems as more and more pieces of this fall together that we are going to get that proper retro-looking shirt. I don't know about the logo, and I doubt the Emirates thing will be that small, but you never know. I've got this... uh, little thing in my mind go well maybe you know as part of the renegotiation of the deal we could have this shirt this year and the 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 sponsor's logo will be a bit smaller maybe we could use the old cannon i don't see it happening i think it'll be the old or the new crest rather um and probably a a reasonably sized fly emirates on the front but in terms of the actual redness and whiteness of it it looks like we're going to get proper white sleeves and it looks like we're going to have a proper um well the red bit is always red Um, But proper white sleeves and uncomplicated. This is what you want, an uncomplicated shirt. Classic, simple, very Arsenal. And let's hope that uh, that's what's what's coming. Um, uh, Amazing the reaction from people who saw it on the blog and on Twitter who said, well, look, if that's what's coming, I'll buy five of them. And that maybe is something that... Now, the folks at, at Nike and the folks involved in these focus groups who allegedly look at these shirts... I mean, you know, if there are focus groups who have chosen some of the kits that we've got recently. Can you imagine the alternatives? If those were the best of what they were presented, imagine what the other ones looked like. It doesn't really bear thinking about it, to be honest. So um, the reaction to it should at least give Nike an indication of what people want and an indication of what people will buy, and that's got to be important for the club and, and for Nike as well. So there you go. Uh, hopefully they'll get at it, and we can all uh, wear a proper Arsenal shirt next season. Right then, before we look ahead to the West Ham game, here's uh, the little fella. Hello, I am Arshevin, and uh, this week uh, has been good week, I think. We play at Hull and uh, win game, but it's uh, difficult. I score... First goal, but later miss big chance to um, win game for Arsenal. And uh, late in game, I am seeing uh, Danielson with ball. Look like uh, going to make shoot. And I thinking, uh, no, it's better if ball is um, in stadium for us to... Uh, uh, Win game, but the uh, hull keeper like uh, Fabianski and uh, Bentner score a goal. So we are all um, very happy. And later, um, to celebrate, I go out with wife and we are driving. And I have a little accident, but uh, no big problem. And uh, when I get back in car, wife says... You are always talking about uh, 
women drivers and have their own road and now you are one in accident. <laughs> so I say, shut up, wife. If this was you driving, damage would be worse than Hiroshima. And later, when all bodies are infected, make big plague that go um, all over the world, and 99.97% of people die. For a moment, it looks um, like she's going to cry. And then I say, I'm only joking. Would only be... Uh, 98.2%. Andre Arshavin will return on another Arscast in the very near future. Now, just looking ahead very briefly to the West Ham game tomorrow evening. Uh, the team news is that Thomas Ruzitsky and Cesc Fabregas are both likely to be back. Final fitness tests to take place later today, Friday. Uh, but by all accounts, they're going to be back. Alex Song, of course, is back from suspension after his uh, multitude of yellow cards. I don't know how many more yellow cards he'd have to get this season to get another suspension. I don't know if it's even possible. Uh, William Gallus remains out with that endless, according to Arsene Wenger, an endless calf injury. And the longer it goes on, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know he's hugely important. I think he's uh, vital if we want to go all the way this season. You just, in the back of your mind, you're going, what's going on here? They don't know what's wrong with him. It's a cat, you know, it just seems a little bit mystery injury, as we were talking about with Tim earlier on. And in other years when it's happened, Will Tord, who was out for uh, months at a time, uh, you know, particularly towards the end of the season, there was no such thing as an injury. Um, Edu the same, but there were other alternatives, certainly stronger alternatives. Um, and we could cope without those guys a lot better than we can uh, without William Gallas right now. So I hope it's, it's an injury in, in that sense. Um, and I hope it's not a situation that there's been some kind of impasse or uh, breakdown in relationship over contract negotiations, uh, because that would be a big shame. Uh, but the longer it goes on, you know, when they, they just can't fix him, you know, if he's got a calf strain, rest him up for a few weeks and, you know, give him an old massage and he's better. But the fact that they don't really know what it is and it keeps going and he's coming back and he's breaking down again. And I don't know. I know Gallus is a bit injury prone. I'm just a bit dubious. One part of me is, and the other part is like, well, no, there's no, if Gallus was fit, uh, he'd be playing him because we need him. So uh, anyway, we're none the wiser on that. Um, and having just spent the last uh, two minutes talking about it, I've come to no conclusions whatsoever. So I think this would be probably a good time to call this Arscast a day or a night or an afternoon, whenever it is you're listening to it. Here's the three points of the weekend. I would rather uh, that we won the game in a more timely fashion than we did against Hull. I mean, I enjoyed the last minute leaping around my sitting room like a madman. I enjoyed that, screaming and going mental. It was great, but not good for my heart. And I'll enjoy a 3 or 4 nil win all the better, or even a 2 nil win with both goals in the first half. You know. Let's just do it the simple way, if we can, for once. So, uh, fingers crossed for that. Have yourselves a great weekend. Talk to you all weekend on the blog, all next week on the blog, and, of course, on next week's Arscast. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Old City FC today announced sacking a manager, Phil Brown. He were called into chairman's office and told to sling his hook. Chairman, whatever his name is, said... To be frank, we really just couldn't stand the sight of him anymore. He was just so... common. Old announced appointment to former Crystal Palace manager Ian Dowie to scare crowds away. 